0: Well, happy Mother's Day to all the ladies out there. No matter what motherhood looks like to you, if you've got young kids at home, if you're a grandmother, if you have adopted children, if you're a foster mom, or if you are a small group leader in our NextGen Ministries, we wanna honor you today because you are a part of raising up the next generation. Now, today the message is entitled, Joy is on the Table, and that's because I want to share a table story with you, but I wanted to to stay in the theme of joy because we have had so much fun over the past few weeks. So today I want to talk about the Table of God and this amazing feast that the Father has prepared for us. Now, when you think about a family table, whose table are you thinking about? I have amazing women in my life that set amazing tables. But for some reason, when I think about the family table, I go back to my earliest memories and I think about my great-grandmother's family table. So I want to introduce you to someone who I call Granny, okay? Now, a little bit about me. I am from South Alabama, okay? And all of the stereotypes that you think about when you think about Alabamians, I fit all those stereotypes, so that was a part of my childhood. And I am very proud of my Alabama upbringing, okay? So here's Granny, okay? I want you to picture a white Medea, okay? So if you know the Tyler Perry movies, then you know who Medea is, okay? So she's got the Moo on, she's got the glasses, um, the same stature, the same attitude but she owns a trailer park, okay? That is my granny. And the more grannies I meet, the more special I realize she really was. So she was this amazing woman that knew how to make money. Um, She had this this land and she was like, you know what? I'm gonna make money with this. So she put some trailers on her property and she collected rent and she ran that trailer park and she worked a full-time job and she raised four kids. So she was an incredible woman. But she was always adamant about making sure that we had eaten not just seconds, but thirds and fourths and fifths. She was always saying that we hadn't eaten enough food. And she cooked these amazing spreads. You know, think about fried chicken and mashed potatoes, basically the whole Paula Deen meal. That's what she made every single day. And she was always adamant that you needed to go back to the table. You needed to eat more. And um, one of the special things that that Granny and I shared, this is probably when I was like three or four years old, um, Uh, Granny would always sit on this uh, front porch that she had. She had this big screened in front porch okay and she had these big deep freezers because she had a huge garden and she would put all of her vegetables and she would store things in her deep freeze and so we would spend a lot of time out there on her porch with the deep freezers and she had the she had this rocking chair that she would sit in and now that I'm older I realize this was basically Granny's home office okay so she would watch the people coming through the trailer park. She would watch the traffic. She would yell at people that were that were um, driving too fast and people would come in and, and pay rent and people would come in and would, would eat a meal at her table because like I said, there was always an abundance of food and, and everyone was welcome to sit at her table. So we would spend a lot of time out there on her screened in front porch and, and I even remember the days of like shelling peas with her and, and my family on that porch. But when she would sit in that chair, I would always crawl up in her lap and um, I would whisper into her ear and I would say, Granny, make me a milkshake. And she would not hesitate to immediately jump up, head to the kitchen, actually she would go to the ice box that's what she called it, and she would whip up an amazing milkshake. And it was so creamy and so tasty and it had vanilla in it and I can honestly still taste that milkshake. But later in life, I realized why that was a secret and why it was something I had to whisper. It's because she was putting raw eggs in my milkshake. (laughs) She was trying to put some meat on my bones. She was slipping in a little extra nutrition, a little extra protein, maybe a little salmonella too. And that's just who she was. She was always trying to fatten us up. And today we're gonna talk about the Good Shepherd's table. It's a really, really good table. Let's read our scripture for this message today, and let's pray. The scripture is Psalm 23, 5. I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Father, I thank you for your word. I ask that you would release your word, and you would send it out to accomplish your work. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit, to see the table that you have prepared for us reveal to us the heart of the Father, and lavish your love on your people. I ask for breakthrough today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I have four points that I'm going to move through, and the first one is that God prepares tables. Now, you've probably read this psalm before. It's a very common passage in the Bible, but maybe you haven't thought about the fact that God prepares tables, and that's actually a big statement. Now, I'm not a Bible scholar by any means. I don't know the original languages of the text and all that stuff. But I do know that in ancient times, like when David was writing this, men wouldn't be preparing tables. That's a woman's job, right? And so this scripture is showing us the heart of God. And, and, you know, Jesus says in Luke 13, 34, he says that he longs to gather in his people like a mother hen gather, gathers in her chicks and protects them under her wings. You know, who, who sets tables and who gathers in baby chicks? A nurturing mother does that. One that is so closely connected to the life of her little ones. Case in point, how many of you have actually worn your kid's boogers on your clothes before. Moms are the ones raising their hands. I do it all the time. We've all been there where we're somewhere and we need to wipe a snotty nose. There's no wipes nearby, so we use our sleeve. We wipe up that booger and it's on our clothes until we have a chance to change it. So what I'm trying to say is that moms do things that dads won't do. And so yes, our God is strong, and our God is mighty, and he is a warrior, but he's also the one that holds us, and he hosts us, and he is as closely connected to us as a mother is to her babies. Now today, I want to talk to you mostly about the place where this table is located, okay? The place and then what is served on the table. So my second point is that the table is where the enemies are. Now, table placement is very important, okay? Because the place that we eat matters. Just ask my mother-in-law. Miss K is very particular about where we eat in a restaurant. If you've ever been with her out to eat before, then you know that we're not gonna sit by a bathroom We're not going to sit under a fan or in a cold spot in the room because she gets cold really easily. And she loves to eat on the water, and so she's always going to have a table with a view. She wants to look out over the water. So where we eat matters, but none of us would pick the place where God puts this table at. You know, I don't know about you, but when I'm anxious about something, when I'm worried about something, it's really, really hard for me to eat. But God picked... This spot in our space and time because he wants to give us a feast now, and in our now there happen to be enemies lurking. Now, there won't always be enemies in our in our midst, not in the age to come, not in heaven, but in our present age, we share this space with enemies. So let's pause on this for a second. Let's bring this into real life, okay? I like to talk about our normal eating habits throughout the week. What does the family table look like to you in a normal work week? Well, millennials like myself, we love to put our kids in all the things, all the sports, all the activities. And so our afternoons are just running from place to place all over town. And so if you're like me, your family table is in the car. You're eating on the go. You're eating drive through food. You're eating at the nearest Chick-fil-A. You're eating wherever you can, and you're eating fast because life is so busy for us. But when you're at home, and I love to have those nights when we can be at home together and I can actually cook a meal. When we're at home, we are definitely eating in the presence of our enemies, and those enemies are toddlers, Okay, maybe not the toddler, but the the behaviors of the toddler. Okay, we're eating in the midst of chaos. There are enemies at our table. If you've ever eaten with my three-year-old Phoebe Grace, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because Phoebe actually has a history of taking off her clothes at the table when we are in public places, when we are at restaurants. She's done it more than once. There is no surge of adrenaline, like looking down at your feet and finding out that your child's bare bottom is on the ground where people are eating, okay? So Phoebe is wild. There are enemies at the table. You know, when, when Chad and I, when we were in Baton Rouge, our, our oldest two more than toddlers. So we had a one-year-old, Silas was one, and Scylla was three. And we made this commitment. We were like, listen, for this season of life, we're not doing uh, public eating places. We're not going out to eat with people because this is chaos. This is horrible. There's no way we could do this in public. It was like the, the dark ages of our lives. So when we sit down to eat, you know, that there is going to be food everywhere, there are bad attitudes, there are spilled drinks, there are refusals to eat, no matter how hard you've worked on that meal, they're going to refuse to eat it, and they're going to beg for snacks an hour later. There's meltdowns, there's a battle of the wills, you will eat your broccoli, and it's a mess. There are enemies at my table. And if you're setting a family table in the mornings, then I applaud you because you are a hero. My sister-in-law, I'm pretty sure she does this and it amazes me that she does this. But in my house, my kids like to wake up right before we have to leave. And so our family table or our family meal is me, I'm literally throwing a teletaco at them as they load into the car. What's a teletaco you ask? It is actually a waffle, a protein waffle Kodak waffle, it's a little bit healthier. And it has Nutella in the middle and you fold it in half and that's Nutella taco. That's a little delicacy in the Harris home and it is keeping my children alive. So if you have young kids in your house or if you've raised young kids, then you get it. All right, you get what I'm trying to say here. We eat in wartime, we eat in opposition, we eat in total chaos because this is our season. And it won't always be like this. I keep telling myself this. It won't always be like this. But this is my current reality. And there are enemies at my table. It is not a stock family photo. It's messy. And it's real life. Now David tells us that the good shepherd prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And those enemies are not your children. Okay. We love our kids. We love our family tables. We love our messes. Our enemies are not our kids, okay? We're talking about the enemy of your soul, Satan, and the dark forces, this world. They hate you, and they are watching you, and they are lurking, and they are gazing upon this table that God has prepared for you, a table that they cannot eat from, a table that they have no rights to. So they hate this table And they hate the one that prepared it, and they hate you. Now, I'd like to share with you a testimony. I'd like to share with you my table story. And you heard bits of it last year after this event in our lives happened. Um, At that point, I was still very broken, and this was very fresh, and I wasn't really able to share. And it wasn't until recently where I asked the Lord, like I asked him to heal me because I was still um, experiencing the trauma and thinking about these memories and speaking about these memories it really hurt and so i asked the lord take the sting out of these memories and he did and so i'm here to tell you that he is a healer he heals our bodies he heals our minds he heals our emotions and he can take the sting out of memories and so um it's an honor and it's a privilege to be able to share with you this story So last year in April, my kids were on spring break, and as Catoosa County likes to do it, it's always right before Easter. So we didn't go anywhere, we stayed here, and we were getting ready for Easter. And I had a meeting at Dream Central, and this was our first Belize meeting. We're going to Belize in just a couple of weeks. And this was our first planning meeting where we were going to dream and envision what the Lord might have in store for us in Belize. And so my older two kids came with me to work that day, and Scylla and my mother-in-law worked together to prepare a beautiful table. And I have a picture of it. I treasure this picture. It means so much to me. Um, So on this table, you won't see it in the picture, but there was bread, freshly baked bread that Miss Monica had prepared. There was jam, butter, all the good things. And it was me and and Wilea and Tiffany and Miss Monica and my kids. And we were all just dreaming at the table. And Miss Kay shared a message with us that I will never forget. And it's because this is a message that I would live. She talked about this amazing spread that the Father prepares for us. He sets the table for us. And she told us that there are enemies around our table. And these enemies will try to take a seat at our table if we let them. And she said, don't let the enemy take a seat at your table. Just a few hours after that. My son, Silas, was involved in an accident, and he took a really, really hard fall to concrete. And when I found him after the event happened, for an earth-shattering moment, I saw him on the ground. He appeared to be completely unconscious. And when I found him for a moment, I thought that I had lost my son. I thought that I had lost my baby boy. And I ran over to him, and I picked him up off the ground and I, what came out of me, I was not saying the Lord's name in vain. It was a cry for help. I was screaming, oh my God, and what I was saying is, God help me. This is not happening. This is not going to happen today. I'm not about to lose my son, and so I, I called Chad, and I told him what had happened, and we were headed to get help, and and I ran, and, and, and nearby Luckily, Pastor Terry was really close by, and he threw us in his truck, and and I was in the front seat with Silas holding him. He was bleeding. He was moaning, and I was doing everything I could just to keep him awake. And so Pastor Terry drove us to Erlanger East in record time, and I jumped out of the car. I had no shoes on. Because like the Alabama redneck that I truly am, I had taken my shoes off that day to be comfortable. Just running around, getting work done, and I didn't have my shoes on. And so I had to run into that ER room without any shoes on. And I was covered in blood, and I looked like a maniac. But I went straight back, and and I gave them to the nurses and the doctors because this was a life or death situation. And the doctors there were concerned about his internal um, injuries. So they they found out that his vitals were okay, he was stable, um, but they were worried about his internal injuries. And so they put us in an ambulance and they took us downtown to Children's Hospital. And immediately when we got there, they intubated him because they were concerned about his airways. It was really just to make sure that he could breathe and that wouldn't be a problem for him. And so that's something that you never want to see. And Chad and I felt completely helpless because at that point we really didn't have answers. We didn't know how badly he was hurt. We didn't know if his, if his brain, you know, had trauma to his brain or what was going on. And so that night in the ICU, it was really, really hard um, because only one of us could be with Silas. We had to take turns. And so I was alone. And the enemy was at my table. And I could feel his, his presence, I could feel his eyes, I could hear his, his sneers and his taunts, and he was throwing accusations at me. And I had to be really strong that night, and I had to refuse to let the enemy sit at my table. And so I, would, I, I walked through Psalm 23, I really quoted that to myself, and I sang that over Silas all night long, and over my child. I said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I spoke that over Silas, and every time I would go back to the trauma of seeing him on the ground, seeing him lifeless, seeing him unconscious, every time I I heard those accusations, I would envision Silas standing up strong, declaring the word of the Lord. So the next day, the doctors would be looking at him and giving us more of a prognosis. And um, I hadn't eaten at all since the event because my nerves were completely shot. Um, but our community surrounded us so well. I have to say another Mother's Day shout out that you, you don't need just one mom. You need a lot of moms. And I was surrounded by so many amazing women that came to us in our time of need. They brought me shoes. They brought me clothes, they brought us meals, they brought us blankets that they prayed over, and they brought me gummy clusters. That's really what um, I ate for those 24 hours. So I hadn't eaten since the event really, but on the second night in the ICU, just a little over 24 hours from that initial um, time at the table with Miss Kay, we would come back to the table and Joy was on the menu. God's provision is so amazing. You have to see this because on that night there was some bad weather. It was in April and we get a lot of like tornado type weather. So there was tornado weather in the area and there was supposed to be an event at church and it had to be canceled because of the weather. So Cindy and Miss Kay, not wanting it to go to waste, brought it to the ICU waiting room. And right there in my nightmare. The Lord prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right there, God hosted me. And He said, Ashton, let's eat. Let's eat right here in the middle of this pain and suffering. This is the perfect spot. Let's feast. Let's have a meal. And God showed me so clearly that this is where He prepares tables. So we feasted and we celebrated God's faithfulness. We celebrated Silas's life. The room was was oozing joy. We weren't it wasn't filled with panic, it wasn't filled with worry or anxiety, but honestly that room was filled with joy that night and it was the best meal of my entire life. I was surrounded by family and friends and other moms and dads that were there waiting on news about their children. It was a festival type of environment. And God showed me that sometimes breakthrough comes through fasting, but sometimes breakthrough comes through feasting. And on that day, doctors were able to determine that though Silas had a laceration to his liver, the liver was resilient, and the liver would heal itself. And though Silas had many fractures on his little face, all of these fractures would heal on their own. And though Silas had trauma to his mouth, and when I, when I looked at him after the event, I, I thought, you know, at the very least, if everything internally is okay, I thought, At the very least, we are going to have major, major like facial reconstruction because his face was so disfigured. But the doctors were able to determine that no treatment was needed and no surgery was needed at all. So his life was spared. His body was spared down to the smallest of bones. And Silas walked out of that hospital. He walked away from this accident without any surgeries, without any treatment at all. Just some ointment for some scratches on his face and some pain medication. So I am here to testify and tell you that he is who he says he is. He is the good shepherd and he is our defender and he is our shield and he guards us and he protects us and he comforts us and he prepares tables in our darkest days and in the midst of our suffering. I have two more points for you. And the third one is that feasting at the table brings Breakthrough. I believe that God gives us break, breakthrough through feasting. Because think about it. Feasting is a context for victory. We feast because we've won. We feast because the threat is eliminated. We feast because the war is over. We feast because the finished work of Christ. I want you to think about Esther's table. If you know anything about Esther's story, She fasted, but breakthrough came in the context of feasting. And I believe that the greatest intercession we can do is sit down at the Father's table and feast. Because when he hosts us at his table, we are reclined, we are at rest, and we are at ease. Because the war has already been won. And this is the posture that he wants us to lead from. This is the posture that he wants us to pray from. Yes, we know that we live in a war zone in this present age. And I don't want to make light of the suffering that's around us because it's all very real. But we must remember who our God is. He is the fa- The Father is the host of the party. And he sets the table from where he resides from heaven, which is the age to come. And he has invited everyone to his party. All people are written on the invitation. He is kind. He is generous. And he is so full of joy. Look at Jesus's life. He was the most joyful person in the room. He lifted the room, and he literally carried the weight of sin on his shoulders. And then if you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding feast. Doesn't this say so much about the heart of our God? This is what the kingdom looks like. It looks like a party with no lack of provision. It's a table overflowing with good things. And if this is who our God is, if this is who Jesus is, then we are called to be party people. We are called to be feasting people. And if we are living by the Spirit, if we are doing it right, then we are overflowing with joy and laughter and fun. And no, we don't deny the reality of this world in this present age, because none of us have escaped pain and suffering. We've all tasted it, but we choose to feast anyway, and this is an act of faith. This is an act of war, and my final point, I want to to show you how the table Fits in with the with the whole theme of hope this year and the and the dove. And my last point is that the table is a taste of the age to come. I want to tie it to our vision for this year. And if you weren't here with us early in the year, if you didn't hear that message, you should definitely go back and listen to it. But this last year, the Lord gave me um, a vision, okay? and I don't say that lightly because I don't get these often, but he showed me something in a time of prayer. Earlier that morning, I had spent some time with Scylla, and we were we were reading about the flood narrative, and Noah and the ark, and we read the scripture about the dove being released, and, and it brought back an olive branch, and I took them to school that day, and you know, went about my day, and later on, I was in the youth sanctuary praying, and Out of nowhere, that dove in my mind, the dove flew to me with an olive branch in its beak. And this olive branch says so much. The olive branch says, there is a future ahead of you. The olive branch says, there's life just beyond what you can see. And it says, you are not going to die here on this ark. Know what? You know, we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to experience the new creation, but the Holy Spirit actually brings it to us here. He brings to us signs of life on an ark surrounded by death. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And in the same way, he provides tables of joy for us here in this land that's occupied by enemies. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience it. But heaven sets a table for us here. And this table is a gift. This table is a taste of the age to come. And through this table, heaven invades our current reality. And on this table, you will find all of the gifts of the Spirit, all the good things that the Father wants to lavish on you, your inheritance, your rights as his children, your authority on the earth. You don't have to wait to get to heaven to feast. The table is already here. You know, the Holy Spirit is so kind when he speaks to us, like the dove, like he spoke to me. And he's so kind when he whispers to us. You know, as we prepare for this Belize missions trip, you know, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, how he whispers. And he whispered something to me um, several months ago, something that was so profound. And this is what he whispered to me in the middle of the night. It was during those hours where you're sort of awake and you're sort of asleep. And he said repeatedly, he stands between us. The ages. He stands between the ages. He stands between the ages. You know, one of the amazing things about the Holy Spirit, one of the things he loves to do is he loves to point us to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was showing me the one that stands between heaven and earth, the bridge, the one that is making the two one. The kingdom is here, and the kingdom is coming. And through Jesus, we can have heaven now. And this table, it... It takes our breath away. Maybe you have a really hard time envisioning it. Maybe you have a really hard time believing that this table could be for you. But Brother Lawrence says it so well. He says, I regard myself as the most wretched of all men, stinking and covered with sores, and as one who has committed all sorts of crimes against his king. But this king filled with goodness and mercy, far from chastising me, lovingly embraces me, makes me eat at his table, and serves me with his own hands, gives me the keys of his treasures, and treats me as his favorite. Yeah, we're all sinners, but this king. You know, so so many of us do this church thing. We come to church every week, and we never truly catch a glimpse of the father's heart. We have no idea how generous he really is. We have no idea to what depths and what links his love goes. He wants you and me, the most rotten of all at his table. And as a good father, he wants to give to you all that he has. All that he has is yours. And so whatever you're walking through today, whatever you're facing, I want you to know that there is a table in the midst of your suffering. And you actually need this table to get through this moment. You need the peace, the joy, the strength, and the life that is served up on this table from heaven. And I want you to know that just like there was a table for me and there was a feast for me, there's a feast in your hospital room. There's a feast for your bad news. There's a feast for your crisis. Whatever you're looking at, whatever you're up against, there is a table. And when we're surrounded on every side, we are set up for a feast. There's a meal from heaven in your deepest pain, in your greatest crushing, and in the middle of your nightmare. I believe God is saying, I made this meal for this moment. In 1 Kings 19, an angel brought a meal to Elijah. Elijah was in a place of such darkness, such depression, that he actually wanted his life to be over. And you know what God did? God sent an angel with a meal. And God said, eat, Elijah, eat because you're not going to die here in this darkness. Eat because fear is not going to have the final say over your life. Eat because you do have a future. Eat because the journey ahead of you is really long. Eat, feast. In John 21, Jesus, he actually sets a picnic on a beach for his disciples Peter was walking through the greatest failure and disappointment that we could imagine. He had utterly failed God. He had denied Jesus 3 times. And so when the when the disciples were lost in confusion and and they were grieving and they didn't know what was next, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, "Hey, let's eat." Eat, Peter, because Nothing can separate you from the Father's love. No failure, no mistake, no disappointment can keep you from the Father's heart. Eat because you do have a purpose. Eat because there is an assignment on your life. It's time to feast. And I believe that God is calling you to the table today. I believe that his love is chasing someone special to him and that somebody that's listening needs breakthrough. And I believe that this is your moment. I believe that somebody needs to speak to fear and say, you can't have a seat at my table. And so I'm praying, I'm asking the Lord that he would ring the dinner, the dinner bell and that you could hear his call to come to his table. I'd like to pray for you today as we close. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would show us the one that stands between the ages. Point us to Jesus, the one that defeated death and the grave, the one that provided this meal from heaven. Show us the host that sits with us. Introduce us or reintroduce us to the heart of the Father. Reveal to us this table that is in front of us. I ask that your people would take a seat and feast in your presence. Pour your spirit out and release all the gifts of the spirit. In your name we pray, amen. I just wanna say happy Mother's Day again. I hope that all the moms are celebrated so well today. We honor you and we hope you have a great day and we will see you back at 10 a.m. next week.